Hello, 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 everybody out there in the Vox world of Earth, where the Vox listeners live. <laughs> I don't know what that means. My voice is going out because I sang for two hours last night. I also oh, got an go? arm cramp. I play. Oh, I, I have a really like aggressive uh, strumming song that I normally open a set with, and for some reason, I looked at my watch and I was like, "Oh, I have time for one more song," and I played it at the end. And oh, my arm and started cramping tired. while I was playing it. And I just had to stop. Like, I can't play this song anymore. Sorry, guys. Peace. Did you Good finish night. it? Yeah, I finished it, but it was a little awkward. But it was I like, doubt it. You know, like I bet it was endearing. Cramps. Yes. It was, it was a bummer. I get leg cramps when I do weird things like. Like Peloton writing? No, like like <laughs> that's when it would make sense. Like if I'm putting away the groceries. Yeah. That's just <laughs> you know, it's like a weird. Yeah, I know. It's so sad. Anyways, hello, Vox listeners. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Muscle Cramp episode of Vox. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do think, though, that's a good transition point into the intro for today's podcast. Spiritual um, cramping? Spirit, like, I was thinking more uh, flexing muscles that we don't normally flex. Thinking about things that we don't normally um, think about, or that maybe has just been sort of an ingrained belief we have. Um, I find it so much of my thirties and you can tell me if this has been true for you too. So much of my thirties has been, um, making my faith, my own taking mm-hmm. apart things that were inherited beliefs and then looking at them. And sometimes they've stayed exactly the same and sometimes yeah. they haven't but you get to own them then. But I get to own them. Exactly. Yeah. So um, today's conversation definitely falls into that category. So today we have author, uh, I think reverend, theologian, and um, he's the dean of the school that he works at of seminary. Um, His name is Bradley Jersak, Dr. Bradley Jersak. And he's written like over 20 books, I think he said. But the one we're talking to him about today is maybe one that he's most well known for. And it's called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. And um, he has written, the book is very, it's about um, hell. It's about judgment and about all the surrounding beliefs around those two things. So is there a judgment? Who gets judged? How is it forever? Is it just for a short amount of time? And then the different views on hell, um, conscious, um, conscious torment view or, um, universalism. There's all these different views on it. So it was such a fascinating read because I will say this coming even from like a scholarly standpoint, it was very scholarly. Um, I thought he did a good job of addressing there was so much scripture like info tables in it so it was a fascinating read if if anybody is done with this podcast and wants to know more I feel like he did a good job of laying things out without being trying to be convincing one way or another Um, but in the end what we talk about in this podcast is that he does swing towards a universal standpoint meaning he does believe that he would call himself a hopeful universalist. He believes that there is judgment that people or a hopeful, a hopeful inclusionist, a hopeful inclusionist. I think you're right. That is the correct phrase. Yes. And he called it so, ultimate redemption, ultimate redemption. Yeah. So like that the cross does matter. Jesus does matter. Um, what he did on the cross matters. Um, he believes that we are judged. Um, but he believes that as it spells it out in revelation, that there'll be a time at the final judgment 
where sin and death and temptation and idols and all these things are gone and people get a second chance to accept Jesus and that when they see Jesus, they're so compelled by his love that they say yes. And so, um, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Yes. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And so it's interesting because I must say it before we started it, before I even read the book, I really just assumed it would be, and we talk about this in the first part of the episode, but like a pluralistic universalism that like you can believe anything and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be Jesus and all roads lead to the same place. But I want to be clear that that's not at all what he says. He's like, I believe that if you are going to go to heaven, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. So this was a good exercise for my brain and for us to talk about in community with each other, Tim. And so I'm excited to see what everybody else thinks um, of the many different viewpoints that we can have about something and still align on these very core things of Mm -hmm. uh, redemption by Jesus on the cross. So I don't know. What else do you want to add about it? Well, we, I, it's a fascinating conversation. Um, it's very theological and there's a lot of scripture and then there's a lot of personal, um, mm-hmm. elements to it as well. Uh, it's, I think it's a, I don't know. I, it was a very fascinating conversation. He's a really cool guy. He's fun to talk to and fun to hang out with. We do want to say though, that, you know, the, the history of Vox interviews has always been about bringing people on and not to disagree or agree with them, but just to get their best stuff and to understand various perspectives. That's how Mike always says it is like, we want to get their best stuff. And so Mike always made a point of not debating people, but just Mm -hmm. asking questions and trying to get that person to bring forward the best that they have of what they're, whatever it is that they're arguing or talking about. Right. So examples of that have been like when Mike had Godless on, um, Mm -hmm. who's who's a very renowned and well-known atheist, uh, Mike didn't debate Godless. Mike just asked Godless lots of questions about why, how he got to the place that he's at, what his story was, yeah. where we and can come into Tremper, that story and understand. Yeah, Trumper yeah, Longman. Yeah, then like Longman, he was on. That was totally the opposite end. Yeah. But and I wouldn't say that Erie would agree with everything he said either. But yeah. we just he listened yeah. and allowed for space so that these ideas can come up. Yeah. Uh, Rob Bell was a, mm-hmm. you know, Rob. He's been on and. Um, even just a couple episodes ago with, uh, uh, the sex behaviorist and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we are trying to get people to come in and come into this process with us to help us process, to help us sharpen, to help us explore. Uh, and that's part of this too. So, so for some of you guys, you may hear this and you're like, what this is yeah. blasphemy. Um, he's saying that hell is not a, a, you know, whatever. And then some of you are going to be like, wow, this is really profound and interesting. And it's given me a lot to chew on and a lot to think about. And some of you may be like, I totally fall in line with this. I don't know. You know, everyone's going to fall into different categories, but like for um, me, like, and you'll hear me say it in the thing. I still am working this out theologically. Like I still don't know. And I feel like it'll take me a while. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's so big and it's so multifaceted. It's so layered. But even having the conversation with him was so healing for me on a personal level because Mm -hmm. I grew up in a church that used fear and hell as the end all be all motivator for what you do and why Jesus loves you or not. And it was like, I definitely came to Jesus out of fear not love. Yeah. So because of that, I have been afraid of it and have anxiety my entire life. 
Yeah. So I think I even said this in the episode, like my, um, one of the things my therapist says about OCD, she's like, the best way out is through. It is, it's exposure therapy. Mm, yeah. So having that conversation was exposure therapy for me of like, this is a human being who is able to talk about these things in a calm manner. You can look at stuff with research and you can dissect it. And I'm not pressured to know my answer now, but I now have tools that help yeah. me to find yeah. out my answer. Yeah. Yeah, and we should be talking about this stuff and we should be dissecting it and we should be looking for truth and, and keep pushing forward on the trail towards Jesus. And um, so anyway, just we, we wanted to, you know, make sure that we relayed that foundation out there uh, for folks that this is kind of the MO of Vox from the beginning is to, to, mm -hmm. is to be in process and to have these conversations and to create, again, a safe place for people to wrestle and to ask questions and to doubt and um you know to be able to come and be like i don't know i don't know i don't know and i don't you know i've struggled with this forever but i've never felt like i was able to talk about it we want to be the place that you can talk about that so yeah his theological view of judgment may differ from yours um but i think it's also interesting that he has a very very high view of scripture mm -hmm. and you'll hear that in here and that he um is constantly pulling from scripture to talk about what it is that he's talking about so yeah Anyway, uh, without further ado, this is our interview and um, conversation with Reverend Dr. Author Bradley Jerzak. Hey, everybody. We are very excited for our conversation today. We are here with Brad Jerzak. Uh, he is the author of a book called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. Brad, welcome to the Vox Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We wanted to start off with just uh, kind of letting people, let, let you introduce yourself to the audience. Um, we we're going to ask you a couple of little just like icebreakers. Okay. Because um, uh, I'm a teacher and this tends to be the way that we ease into things <laughs> in the teaching world. And we both did Young Life, so we're like... <laughs> Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. I know about it then. So we're going to do a skit first, then we're going to sing a song, <laughs> and then we're right. going to do an icebreaker. Um, but we were going we to, uh, if you could tell people where you live and uh, maybe what your favorite book from the past year was. Okay. So um, I live in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada, about an hour from Vancouver, about two miles from Washington state border. And I have a few jobs. Um, one I'll mention right now is that I'm the Dean of Theology and Culture at St. Stephen's University on the East Coast of Canada, ssu.ca, oh, wow. and I commute. So that's... Uh, How far is that commute? It's like a whole day of, of flying, of yeah. flying. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it would be yeah. five days of driving, but I, I, it's modular, so I only have to be there two weeks per semester. Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. So if you want an MA or an MN, you can just come join me there for two weeks and then go back home. You don't have to quit your job or leave your family or anything. Great. great. Yeah, <laughs> it is good. And what's your favorite book of the past year? It could be anything. It doesn't have to be a theology book. The, the apes, the apes. Uh, it's a, it's a story about an ape who's an engineer on a steamship and, and the captain of the steamship gets framed for murder and the ape has to prove that he didn't do it and this ape's really smart and can type and stuff and and um so it, 
it's it's pretty fun. Wow, that, that sounds, sounds great. Okay. I could remember the title. I'm gonna try to find it. I'm gonna try it to find me, it, and then my wife is thinking of uh, what Eden. The Murderer's Ape. That's what it's oh, called. The the oh my Ape. goodness! It's so good, you guys. Your whole families could read it. It's it's uh, highly recommended. Oh cool. Down. Okay cool. I like a good uh, gripping story. I wonder if they even have audiobook. When it, when it's a scary story, um, my husband likes to listen. Yeah. This is age appropriate for you know fourteen year olds love it, but my wife and I loved it and. Oh you know. fun. Okay good. Fun. Oh, I'm I glad just, you gave us a good book like that. We're teaching. Uh, I teach English at a university. It's a Christian university though, and I am trying to think of new ways to introduce certain different essay types. And so we're doing. We're introducing a new essay today, and I had them watch part of um, "Who Framed Roger Rabbit" because oh, it frames wow. out. Yeah. But man, that movie—the <laughs> students had much different reactions to that film than I <laughs> was expecting. They were not fans. I'll put it. They were that offended. Way. Probably they were offended. They were. I was like, "Wow, it's rated PG. It's on Disney Plus." But uh, but hey. hey, wow, interesting. So you never know um, how things are going to translate over. You really don't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Speaking well, of murderous, uh, you know, animals. Yeah, yes. there you go. Gosh, I haven't seen that in a while. Um, well, Brad, we are so grateful you are here. So as I said, I was introduced to you by a friend of mine and he's like, you have to read, his name's Jordan. He's a Vox listener. And he's like, you have to read this book called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. Um, so the full title is Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, Hope, Hell, and the New Jerusalem. Um, and so... I am so excited. We are so excited to talk to you about this today. And I have to say, for everybody listening, let me just start out by saying this. I owe everybody an apology because I had, I didn't know what I was going to find in this book. It is so, I mean, obviously you, you are a doctor, you are a reverend, you are the dean. I didn't know that about you. So I didn't know anything about it. It is so thorough in scripture. Um, that I just wanted to say, I think you did such a good job. You um, talk about all the different traditions, all the different views of hell, all the different, um, and you really even handedly bring out just like the different viewpoints. And so I appreciated that about it. But speaking of like assumptions or wrong definitions that people have, so can you just give us a background a little bit? So about sort of if you could give it in a one-line synopsis like her gates will never be shut what is it necessarily what is it exploring i am exploring the various biblical and theological approaches to divine judgment and mm -hmm. and uh, afterlife um so so that includes both a thorough examination of every time scripture talks about it in the whole bible Mm -hmm. And then also how the early church talked about it as they interpreted and compiled the Bible. Right, right. So I love that because you really, you really did do that, Old Testament and New. Um, but can you describe, let's just start with this definition. Let's just go over a few definitions for people listening that maybe haven't even been introduced to this conversation. Of sure. What is judgment? What is divine judgment? What is hell? Does it exist? Is it a real place? Is it a uh, spiritual reality? Like, what are we talking about here? Can you describe, and you said this, you described it in your book, but what the difference is between universalism, like what that is, and then pluralistic universalism? Because I think that most people think those are the same thing. And you do yeah. a great job describing in your book that they're not. So could you just uh, define those two things for us? 
Yeah, I, I would say this. Universalism is a giant paintbrush word. Mm-hmm. I don't like because it's a giant paintbrush word. Right. And so within that giant paintbrush, you're going to have some some very faithful, biblical, evangelical points of view. But I would call that a fairly narrow slice of that bigger word. Um, let's So let's say Robin Perry would be called an evangelical universalist or... David Bentley Hart, I would call him a patristic, that's early church fathers, patristic universalist. And what all of those guys believe is that sin matters, Jesus matters, the cross matters, there Mm -hmm. will be a final judgment, and there is a requirement of a faith response to Jesus. They just happen to believe everyone will make one, everyone will respond, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And they've got about 32 passages in the New Testament that seem to foresee um, this kind of ultimate redemption. I think that's a better term for what they believe. Yeah. Ultimate redemption, because it means we need redemption and we have a redeemer who, you know, but but this kind of a larger pop universalism or pluralist universalism mm-hmm. is sort of like believes all paths lead to God and it doesn't matter what you believe. Sin doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't matter. The cross doesn't matter. There is no final judgment and you don't even need to respond. And right. so let's say, I don't know real stats, but I'll make one up. Let's say 80% of universalists believe that stuff. Okay. Those are essentials of the gospel. So if someone asks me if I'm a universalist, I'm like, well, probably not. Right, what based on that criteria. That, mm-hmm. you know? And it becomes just a, an accusation. It's, almost, it's, it's, it's a pejorative word now, I mm-hmm. think, almost from opponents. So that's, that's the difference I see. Um, yeah. So the, the yeah. So you're coming from in your book and and what we're talking about today, um, an idea that all, um, I think you called it an ultimate redemption. I like that phrase. That there is an ultimate redemption um, by God, but through Jesus. That it is yes. that sin matters. That the cross matters. That Jesus matters. Versus um, everybody goes. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter whatever. All paths sort of lead to the same place. So I like just appreciate that. Um, understanding what that is because um, I went to seminary, um, but we didn't talk about hell very much <laughs> in yeah, seminary. Yeah. You know what I mean? Good. And so <laughs> we didn't. And so that was something when you talked about that in your book, it something clicked in there for me of going, oh, I understand this a little bit better now. Because actually, we talked more about hell in my undergrad world religions courses as it pertained to every religion sort of belief in hell so when i was introduced to universalism it was a pluralistic universalism so i only thought that was the only kind that existed so um i just appreciated how how you handled that so let's then if um if that's what we're if sort of that's our lens right now then let's talk about how did you come into this work so like I said, I went to seminary and I think Tim even said too, the idea of hell is such a huge doctrine in the church. Like, and we'll get to that in a minute, like sort of why that might be the case, but people are uh, very solid on their beliefs about hell, but it's not really talked about. I'm not really sure if everybody knows why they are and you could get your whole seminary degree and never, ever bring it up. (laughs) So like, what was it that sort of drew you in to try to do this major study. Okay. Well, one thing is is a point you've just raised is that it seems to have become a doctrine and it mm-hmm. was not a doctrine in the early church. It mm. does not enter 
the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. So it was not a dogma you had to affirm at your baptism. And that meant mm. whatever we said about it was theologumina, which is a fancy word for theological opinion. Yeah. But now you just look at all these faith statements in churches and colleges and ministries, and they have added it as a doctrine. So yeah, what I want to really say have. personally about that at the outset is whatever I share today, I, am, I, am, I do not hold as doctrine. I mm. hold it as theological opinion. And I'm allowed to share my convictions, but I yeah. cannot. I'm not permitted in the Orthodox Church where I go. I'm not permitted to teach it as doctrine right. simply because it's not in the creed. Oh, fascinating. However, I grew up as a Baptist child. This is my backstory. Okay. That gets us to your question. Um, I grew up as a Baptist child where there was a lot of hellfire preaching by evangelists yeah. and especially at Bible camp where they would get you to like think about as an eight-year-old putting your body in the campfire. Could you hold yes. your body there for a minute, a day, a, a year, a billion years? No. Well, if you don't want your body to be in the fire for 10 billion years and just starting, then you just say this prayer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I would not call that a willing faith response to Jesus. <laughs> That's an ultimatum with a, a fiery gun up against your head. Yeah. And then, so we'd say, of course, I don't want to go to hell. Of course I'll pray that prayer. Right. And I mean, then in the terrified. back of my mind, <laughs> where's the love, where's love and faith? there that's not right. it's it's not there anyway so i i grew up on this and um i was a pastor for 20 years and and in the 20th year of pastoring i had two kinds of conversations a lot that led to the book one conversation was with people who were not christians who had so fallen in love with jesus through their experience of him in our church that they're like i want to become a christian but i can't mm. and i'm like why not they said, because I cannot believe that in, in eternal conscious torment in a lake of fire. I, that, that's a deal killer. I can't believe that. So because of teaching on hell, it didn't scare them in. It scared them away. Mm. The other kind of conversation I had was lifelong Christians coming to my house and saying, um, I still love Jesus, but I need to renounce my faith. I'm like, why would you do that? And they're like, because I can no longer believe in eternal conscious torment in a lake of fire. Yeah. So both of those, I'm like, who said they need to? Let's double check the Bible. Yeah. Does the Bible and does early Christian history say you have to believe that? Does it even include it in the gospel that was preached by the apostles and evangelists, for mm. example? Yeah. So that's when I began this study. And I, um, I, I thought I need to do sufficiently thorough research as a warm-up for my PhD. This was to see if I could do that PhD-level work. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so that's why it's a bit less accessible than my other books. Oh, yeah. got it. Got it. Oh, that's that's fascinating. I love that your response. Um, it was like a lot of times I think we get things out of our own curiosities, which is also fine. Um, but I love that your response was seeing people saying like this is a deal breaker and you asking the question, is it? Yeah, <laughs> is, and is I'm it? an evangelist. Yeah. I want them to come to Christ. So I'm like, if if this supposed doctrine of hell is actually going to send people there, should yeah. we share it? You know, <laughs> yeah. so, or at least fully understand it too. I mean, yeah. I think that's yeah. a that's a big uh, faux pas in you know from the pulpit, but also just in teaching at school. Like when a student asks or a congregate asks a question that you don't know the answer to, 
saying I don't know, let's go look together. Let's go figure yeah. this yes. out instead of being like, well, <laughs> let me. That's just you know, what we do. That's just what we say. Out of the hat and yeah. trying to make a some kind of crazy claim. Yeah, and out of curiosity, what is? And I'm just really wondering this. What is the? Where was the shift? Do you think? in history that that sort of became a a doctrinal thing do you know what i mean like i'm trying to figure out if there was like a movement or a societal thing like tim and i were discussing this earlier and tim what did you say about it you're like it just sometimes well, it feels like this belief system was, well i was curious if it was if I, the the current idea of hell so this current um you know you go to a concert and you got the big banners that are like turn or burn and that that kind of philosophy that we tend to adhere to in really dramatic terms like that or just in basic Sunday morning um, terminology is if that was is that part of the American evangelical understanding of hell does that is that share is that shared in eastern countries is that shared uh, was that a, pre a predominant belief prior to the American um, kind of like evangelical movement yeah or even before that too like the um I'm trying, I'm at a loss for word. Like the way that we ingrained the American faith from, you know, 1492 forward. Like, is it, is that, is this like a Western understanding like of hell? Like an or emphasis this, on it? Yeah. Yeah. Or is this kind of a global, is this a shared belief? Not, not where we're, not where you're sitting right now in your understanding, but our understanding of hell as a, like a full congregate, is that a worldwide in your study, is that a worldwide hell belief? Or is it belief, different or, is that... or like worse in America? Yeah, sorry, that was very rambly. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. You're well, good. it has been, I mean, it certainly got popularized by American revivalism, mm. but it, in this sense, it is Western. It goes all the way back. I think the hinge point, and there's probably been a few landmarks, but the real hinge point was around 400 AD under Augustine, who mm. was Latin West, mm. which is Catholic, out of which comes the Protestants. Yeah. Up until that time, they were not dogmatic about this. In fact, the Nicene Creed was finished in the 380s, and at that point, you could have a whole range of views. Oh, interesting. But in the West then, with um, Augustine, late Augustine, because like, he wrote a lot for a long time, but late Augustine really doubled down on this idea that hell is, is this perpetual torment in fire, mm -hmm. and that you will be supernaturally regenerated to experience that fire forever and ever he he made that uh, somehow that, that his vision of that really got embedded in the latin west mm. and we never recovered from it and so all the major reformers would have been along they the same up, kind yeah. of oh yeah absolutely calvin luther all these guys and um and i will say it still it also was it also was one of the one of the streams in the Eastern churches as well. Mm, one yeah. of them. Yes. You talk um, about but, that in your book. Can you explain that? Yeah. Like how God's fire, um, his cleansing fire. I think you say it's cleansing for some, but not for others. Can you explain that a bit? Cause you, I mean, God's fire or that we hear a lot, obviously yeah. we read that in the Bible, but the, um, the way you explain that is so, is so different. I had never heard it. Right. So there's so many passages. Here's the weird thing. We tried to, we tried to reduce hell down to one or two, descriptions right lake of fire um and then we would sort of talk about outer darkness maybe too a little bit but um here's the idea in the west there's two groups of people the righteous and the wicked mm -hmm. they come to a final judgment and at that final judgment they're separated into two places heaven and hell mm -hmm. and so heaven is with god hell is away from god and both are eternal states um the eastern churches 
some of the major saints and monks, um, they saw it differently. They said, actually, there isn't a us and them in this. We all come before Christ mm. at the final judgment. And our God is the consuming fire. And the fire is the glory of the love of Jesus Christ. Okay. Your orientation to that fire determines whether you'll experience his love as heaven or hell. Mm. So it's not separation from God. It's you can't escape from it. So you're, you're in the presence of this holy fire of divine love. It's not literal flames. It's, 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 it's glorious love. But um, if you love love, that feels like heaven. And if you hate love, it feels like hell. And mm. we know this in, in, in this realm, because sometimes when I work with addicts, for example, um, if they experience unconditional love, it'll trigger a relapse because it feels like torment to them. Mm. Now, here's the good news, though. Oh, and by the way, there's images of this that we'll pick up in Scripture then. Um, for example, when the three boys in Daniel are in the fiery furnace, yeah. you know, they're experiencing the fire as dew, and the, and the soldiers are getting consumed by this fire. Or another would be the pillar of fire in the wilderness, where to the Israelites it was warmth and light and comfort and safety, but to the pharaoh's armies the same pillar of fire was torment storm and mm. scary and so it's not that so, the fire changed it's the orientation of it of the person that's exactly right it. yeah and then the question is this let's say you're oriented against that kind of love mm -hmm. will your orientation be permanent or could the fire of love melt the ice of a cold heart, right. you know? And so this is where you get passages where the fire becomes, is seen as a restorative or a cleansing fire. So mm -hmm. Malachi three, that, that when he comes, he will come as a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. Mm -hmm. Isn't it funny? We always choose fire, but we don't talk about soap. Mm -hmm. Why isn't that our image? Yeah. You know, <laughs> that should be our pet image, big bars of soap, turn or get clean. <laughs> Right. Turn or be scrubbed. Yeah. <laughs> Turn or be scrubbed. Right. And then a, another example of that would be First um, Corinthians three. We all pass through the fire, so it's all of us. We all pass through it, and wood, hay, and stubble are burned up, mm. consumed. Um, gold, silver, and precious stones shine forth. What is that? It's it's our false selves and our true selves. Mm. The thing being burnt up isn't the people. It's our attachments. It's our idolatry. All of the things, our stains, our shame, our regrets, they can't enter the kingdom of God. So as we pass through the fire of the judgment of love, that's burned away. That's, mm. that's cleansed away. That's or however you want to say it. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of how some in the East see this. And I, yeah. I won't say a blanket statement, but that's how, right. how some of it does. I thought yeah. that was fascinating. God is the fire. There's a river of fire flowing from his throne in Daniel 7. Yeah. That's kind of the, the idea of the, um, how a person is perceiving it, uh, yeah. them, that solves something in my brain um, of this very, like I, I've just felt like um, growing up, I never knew what kind of God I was going to get in what story, <laughs> if that makes right, sense. Right. I thought, oh, yeah. oh, he's constantly changing. Like for some, he's giving wrath for some, he's giving, but to say like, God's a constant, this is what I think you're saying. He's this constant of love. Um, yeah. but how that's the doctrine of immutability. Right. He never changes. Yes, exactly. Never... So I was like, how is this a thing? And then these stories aren't making sense in that. 
Um, yeah. So I found, I found that to be super fascinating. So I guess um, really quick, I should have asked you this in the beginning. What are the, usually what you come across? So we have um, the eternal, eternal torment, like conscious eternal torment. Can you, what are the main views of hell that people hold now? Would you okay. say? Yeah. So like I could probably do a big spectrum of at least seven, but let's yeah. just boil them down to three. Okay. okay. So one would be, one would be this eternal conscious torment, or we would call it the hell of eternal torment, or we could call it infernalism. That's what I call it in the book, okay. infernalism. Right. And then from the Latin inferno for help. Right. Um, and then, and then there's a second group and, and it, they're called the conditionalists mm -hmm. in the book. I called it conditional immortality or, or annihilationism. And the idea there is um, the righteous or the saved go to be with the Lord and everybody else either just dies and that's it, mm -hmm. or they die, resurrect, are thrown into the fire and are destroyed or they perish. So that's the language of scripture destroyed and perish are not, are not ongoing torment. It is you are consumed by the fire. Mm -hmm. So that's the so the conditionalists believe that the condition for experiencing eternal life with Christ is is a faith response to Him. But you're um, then, but that one's not eternal. That one's not eternal like for the for, for the, the people the that are in wicked, the fire, right? right. The, but but yes, for the people They're that are in up. heaven, right? Okay. Yeah, the smoke of their torment goes up forever. Okay. Well, what's that mean? Does it mean they're tormented forever? Or is it just that? But some of the passages on that are pretty clear. Like, be, beware of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Right. Uh, destroy there. It's the end. Annihilated. Yeah. And then the uh, and then the third. You we talked about different kinds of uh, universalism or ultimate redemption. I would say of there's a, a very important subgroup in that call um, that I would have called myself at the time, hopeful inclusivist. That is all are included. And I cannot presume that all will be saved, but I am obligated by love to hope, pray and preach for the salvation of all. And I'm actually, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness. So it's right. not doubtful inclusivism right. or even wishful thinking inclusive them. It's, it's hope in Christ, but it's your hope in Christ rather than any presumption Mm -hmm. So, so that, and so Hans Urs von Balthasar would be an example of a theologian who taught that, right. but it's, it's sort of a hopeful universalism. Right. Okay. Mm. Cause I think like I wanted to just say that cause so we have these ideas of hell, but then what yep. we we're just talking about the cleansing fire, I think that the other thing I want to just like discuss or just say out loud and maybe I'm the only one in the room, but there's a difference between the judgment and then like eternity eternity if that makes sense so because like when we were talking about the right. cleansing fire right so i think that that's not always clear either i think that people just right. assume no I, I don't really know what happens i don't know if i stand before judgment i don't know so can you kind of discuss that a bit you already touched on it but um can either one any three of those categories or the seven that, that we just that we didn't go over can you have a different view of who gets judged within those categories oh absolutely so it's yeah. sort of like this um um, like a mix match game, <laughs> almost. Yeah. Like I feel like that you well, could. There's just so. And that's many. in scripture. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's in the Bible where you've got different criteria depending on which judgment passage you're in. So, for example, um, in in Revelation 20, the criteria is whether or not your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right. Apparently, that has to do with whether or not you exercised faith in Jesus. However. 
in Matthew 25, it's based entirely on sins of omission. Yeah. Okay. Let's stop there for a second. That's a big one because <laughs> yes. it's the goats. So can you dive into that one a little bit more? Yeah. So I'd like to say, um, for those who say we need to take that parable, I call it, it's a parable and they, they some object to that, but it's sheep and goats. So, okay. If we're going to take it care, literally, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> then yeah. it's only the farm animals who are in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't worry about it, people. It's just sheep and goats. Yeah. Um, but so what happens there, it's like, so we got the sheep and goats. It's, it's, it's two groups of people coming before the fire. And the weird thing is that the criteria is whether or not you took care of refugees mm. and immigrants and people in hospitals and naked people and hungry people. Mm. And, it, and, and it's not where you, it's just, if you didn't, then you go to right. the goat side. So that's, that's interesting. Is that mm -hmm. really what is Jesus is doing here? And, um, I think instead what he's doing is he's, he's setting up dire warnings in, that in order to teach us the ethic of his community. Mm -hmm. Here's what our ethic's going to be in this community. And there will be a judgment for those who don't adhere to that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we translated it. They go into eternal punishment. And in my book, I talk about how that's a horrendous and irresponsible and sloppy translation mm. and i don't understand how they get away with it because the word for eternity there isn't eternity it's ionion I ionion and it's the idea is a co the coming age mm. it's mm -hmm. an age a age long the, the coming age of judgment you'll enter this age of judgment mm. and it's not punishment the word used is colossus and the word colossus is always only used for correction mm. never never retribution Oh, interesting. So how did we, so instead of saying, if you didn't care for like the prisoners in your city, you're going to go to eternal punishment. Is that what we're really not saying that, are we? Right. Uh, do we really I would believe say, that? Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, instead we would say, um, you will go through the corrective, the corrective crisis mm -hmm. where you face the meaning of your life and where you wasted it. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be an occasion for weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. However, there's also the one sitting on the throne who is an all merciful judge mm -hmm. who wipes every tear from our eyes. And his, his, his verdict, according to James is mercy triumphs over judgment. Mm. So, so there's hope even in Matthew 25, but you could just see how, okay, if we get dogmatic about it, then right. you get, you corner yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Cause it, I loved that when you spoke about it in the book of, um, and again, I mean, I'm basing my view of hell on um, like what I learned in Sunday school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically the most education I got on it. And it was so terrified of it. I never wanted to do my own research. Um, yeah. But um, but this idea. Oh, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious because I'll research anything. But I'm like, no, we're good on this. Um, so I'm <laughs> like grateful for all these points you bring up because it is um, an opportunity. I think that a study like this and a book like yours and a conversation like this is an opportunity to say, ask of course, ask the question about hell, but ask all these other surrounding questions. What do I believe about God? What do I believe about Jesus? What do I believe about my neighbor? What's my role? Um, yep. What do I believe about eternal life? I mean, there's so many things surrounding it. I think it kind of just begs uh, this examination in such a good a good way. Um, yeah. 
But so when- I, I should just pa- yeah. have you pause for a second because I can read the mind of one of your forthcoming listeners. Yes. Saying, what about the rich man and Lazarus? Yes, I was actually, that was my next thing. We're on uh, the same see? page, Brad. <laughs> it, it, it was your mind. So what's your actual question about that? Or do you just no, want No, I would love you to, uh, there's so many questions that I've heard over the years. Um, I liked your description of it in the, in the passage. One of the things I know, um, like I've heard, well, you start talking and then I'll interject with my question. Because I don't think if okay. I ask it, it'll make sense right now. Okay, so what I didn't cover in that book, but subsequently I wrote an article on it. Oh, great. Was how that the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is, is uh, it has three layers. And by the way, it is a parable. And people who believe in eternal conscious torment love to object and say, no, it uses the name Lazarus, so it can't be a parable. Who made that rule up? Well, what (laughs) Jesus is doing is he's... Lazarus is the Greek name for Eliezer, the Gentile servant Mm. of Abraham, who's also in the story. So anyway, we'll come back to that. Mm. There's three layers. The first layer is Jesus is speaking to his immediate audience about about the reversal of the rich and the poor. It's all about money. And and, And there is a judgment coming for those who have neglected the poor and exploited them and ignored them. And, and there's going to be a great reversal where the poor are lifted up. And this is already in Mary's song at the, the Magnificat right. at the beginning of Luke, that, that the powerful are going to be pulled down from their thrones and the poor will be raised up. It's, so that's what Jesus is doing there. And in context, it even talks about why he's telling these, this series of money parables is because the Pharisees loved money. Mm. It, it just tells you why he tells it. Yeah. <laughs> Second layer, Luke has written it in his book in his book now. So Jesus preaches it, let's say in 30 AD. Mm-hmm. Now Luke, who's on Paul's team, traveling around Asia Minor and so on, that he's writing this book and it's a warning about a great reversal of Jews and Gentiles. Mm. And you got lots of hints in the book, including the thing of look at this, Eleazar the Gentile servant of Abraham who lost his inheritance because Isaac was born is now in Abraham's bosom. But Judah, the rich man has five brothers. Mm, mm-hmm. Ah, this is a hint that it's about Judah. And so, so you've got a reversal of Jew and Gentile in, in there. But then the most important thing, the layer no one seems to talk about, except I found it in, in uh, Pope Benedict the 16th book on it. Well, you now talk about it and me yeah. and me i talk about it all the time now yeah. he doesn't anymore but i do the punchline of of the parable is the death and resurrection of jesus so mm. people go yeah but no one can cross the chasm and no one can like come back from the chasm mm-hmm. and no one can come out of the chasm it's like hello <laughs> jesus has crossed the chasm right right Jesus conquered hades Jesus rose from the dead and overcame it and brought a train of captives in his wake, according Mm -hmm. to Ephesians. Mm -hmm. So this is the great thing. Um, That third layer means it's hinting at the gospel already within the parable. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So I want to say to anybody, uh, you are from now on, having heard me just now, you are no longer welcome into that parable without the reference, without reference to Jesus' conquest of Hades. Oh, there you go. That you okay? So let's so, can we talk about that then, right? Okay, please. so Jesus on the cross. Yeah, I like this is so great because I am um, I've read all this stuff and then now I am 
working it all out loud. <laughs> so I appreciate all these questions. Um, this is the time. This, this is the therapy. time. Exactly. <laughs> biblical therapy. That's awesome. So Jesus is on the cross. He dies. Yes. Um, yes. And then discuss that. So I have uh, was always taught, and Tim, you can yay or nay, uh, that he goes he goes to hell, uh, like visits hell, conquers hell and death. That's that's uh, blurry to me, and yeah. um, rises from the dead. So <laughs> does he go to Hades? Is he only conquering the de eternal death? Like what is happening there, Brad? <laughs> so just just to be clear i've now um, just you're decided using... this is a seminary course okay we're working on it questions. so we need to back up and and understand you've used two words interchangeably which is common hades okay. and hell okay hades in scripture is a greek word hades you does mean place of the dead and it's the greek Way, the way that Greek Jews translated Sheol from the Old Testament, mm -hmm. the place of the dead, the grave. Okay. The place we, we um, so it's not even about eternity. It's mm. about now. Mm -hmm. It's Remember, even for the infernalist, hell should probably only start after the final judgment. Mm -hmm. So right. what they do is they go, okay, but Hades is now, it's sort of like the green room for hell. So, um, so you've got the Hades, and then the green room and, for hell. Yes, <laughs> that's gonna that be, an be an album, album cover. I was just gonna say it's gonna be an album somewhere someday. <laughs> yeah. So, so what what um, what the early church all taught um, is that when Christ dies, and, and now remember these are symbols. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to tell a narrative, understanding the narrative are symbolic. Hades is not a place. You know, like it's it might it's a reality though. Mm. But we're so spatial in our metaphors and that's okay. We have to be but but we when we literalize them we create all kind of weirdness like right. uh, that's so medieval. Mm -hmm. Um we've got to grow up at some point. But let me tell you the narrative. So the narrative in the early church, and they're deriving it from a lot of scriptures, including the Psalms, the prophets, Ephesians, and Peter's epistles, is that Christ enters Hades, and he goes, um, he goes, well, you know what's more fun? If I tell you how it was told in the Gospel of Nicodemus, which is okay. not a, it's not a biblical book, but it was, a, or it was, um, you know, historic Christian orthodoxy just because what it does is it pulls all those texts together into a story. So okay. here's the story. Um, and it's a symbolic story. So, so the story begins and you've got like um, Hades and Bill's above are arguing. Hades is running Hades. You know, he's mm -hmm. the prince there and, and he's arguing and, and saying, do not let Jesus come down here. And Beelzebub or Satan is saying, no, no, I've, I've got him cornered. He's like, he's about to die. We've got him. We've got him. We can bring. And, and Hades is like, I don't think you should bring him down here. It's like, why not? Oh, because John the Baptist is down here. And you know what he does? What does he do? He's a forerunner for Jesus. Mm. And he's calling everybody to repent. Cut scene over to John the Baptist. And he's in Hades. And he's saying, Jesus is coming. And when he comes, repent. We'll all follow him out of here. Back to Hades and, and, and Beelzebub, they're back arguing again. And, and Beelzebub's got like, we've got him on a cross. And then it's, and Hades like, oh, this is a bad idea. 
and suddenly Jesus shows up in blinding light, mm. destroys Hades and Satan, enters into the place, mm -hmm. goes down to the very bottom of it and finds Adam and Eve. Mm. And he pulls them up by the wrists and he leads them out with a parade behind him. In, so in the early icons of the resurrection, Jesus is never coming out of the empty tomb alone. He's coming out of Hades mm. with the people there. And so this, this kind of one of the passages from Jesus' own mouth about this is that he's going to bind the strong man, enter his house, and plunder his goods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's this. And so that's kind of, that's a lot of Western Christians have never heard that kind of narrative, but it's in like all of the ancient hymns. I have probably on my iPhone right now, just in photos, I've taken photos of about, about 30, 30 of the hymns that are about that, that you oh, descended wow. into Hades, you embittered Hades, that means gave it a stomach ache, so it had to throw you up. Mm. Um, you've raised up humankind with yourself, but it's not just about the dead, actually. It's like you came and saved me from Hades. Mm. Oh, so it's not an afterlife place only. It's the kingdom of darkness. I've been mm. rescued from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And, and, right. and um, so Hades, whatever your Hades is now in this life, that's what he's come for. That's what he's come for. So then... Um... Gosh, my brain, I've like now, I swear I won't ask all the questions I have. Um, but, <laughs> um, so then, um, gosh, uh, my brain is like now going a thousand miles a minute. So, okay, let's Pick go back. I, yeah, I know, exactly. So let's go back. So I, I love what you just said there um, in terms of hearing it as a story that helps me yep. sort of frame it there. Um, then spiritually then, yep. like you just said, um, if it's, if it's death on the cross, um, if it's something that does something spiritually in our lives, right. It saves us from our personal Hades. Um, we see this a yep. lot. Like that's how I sometimes interpret, um, John three when it was yes. talking about like heaven and hell is like this everyday choice. We have this other guy who comes on the podcast sometimes and it's Tim Gombis and he's a Pauline scholar. And one of the yep. things he talked about was often this idea of cosmos and that every choice you made was borrowing from like a cosmos of hell or a cosmos of heaven. Like it, it sort of um, created more heaven, more hell on the earth or whatever. So there's obviously a very clear spiritual reality of our daily lives right in yeah, in, in yeah. this and that um, believing in Jesus on the cross like and his death on the cross spiritually did something um, yes every day etc um, but I think that where people then get stuck is um, is it did something also literal happen right like was it did he like I think, I don't think you're saying Jesus didn't actually die, but I, I guess like I am hung up on a spiritual thing and a literal thing. So I think yeah. that they can be both. Yeah. Um, What's the literal thing though? The literal thing isn't a place. The literal thing is death. Right. And so what does he do through his death and resurrection? Here's, here's what it's actually saying using that story. You don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Hmm. You, death is no longer non-being mm -hmm. or fiery torment. Because Jesus dies and rises from the dead, death is now renovated as a, it's, a, it's now a doorway into life with Christ. Mm. He's fundamentally changed the nature of death 
and our perception of death mm. by conquering death itself. So right. all of those okay. images are not literalized, but the th but the but death is. So so when we are Hebrews reciting two them, says oh, this. Go ahead. No, just go ahead. Hebrews two says that he that that Christ um, um, took part in he assumed our human humanity, mm -hmm. assumed human nature, right? Um, so that through him he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage so the idea is this whole the whole death reality has terrified humankind so badly but mm -hmm. jesus comes goes there and he comes back mm. and he's like you don't have to be you are no longer in bondage mm -hmm. to the fear of death and so athanasius in the early fourth century he's going to say this Here's how we know Jesus is alive. He doesn't say because the empty tomb. He mm. says, because we're not afraid of death anymore. Mm. It's like, and this affects then their whole lives. They're, they're free to follow and obey Jesus without threat mm. of death because they already died in their baptism. Mm. Okay, you so can't then, die anymore, young lady. Yeah. <laughs> so Bonnie, then, you, Jesus wasn't wrong when he said, if you believe in me, you won't die. He means, he means that like that death is non-being. That's, that's right. history. Yeah. Yes. Like You'll fall saint, asleep. Uh, like the Saint Bob Dylan said, death is not the end. That's right. There you go. Well, so then so then when we're reciting, like we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe he descended to hell, we believe is that I are we saying that that's not what that's the scripture is saying there? Because it it's not at the real the right spot. I'm hung up on that. Oh yeah. <laughs> um so so here's I I understand what you're saying. So in the Bible the um, you've got these two very distinct words, actually three. There's Hades, Gehenna, and Tartarus. Yeah, and 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 they're you they're so in the King James era, they conflated all of those and translated them all hell. Mm. And this, and 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 I'm just saying, biblically, there's a distinction. However, when they wrote the Apostles' Creed they realize he conquered everything. So they conflated again and that's okay. Oh. He's right, conquered right. death. He's conquered hell. He's conquered Hades. He's conquered Got the it. kingdom of hell. It's all done. Right. And so right. it's a beautiful phrase, I think. Mm. Got it. I'm Thank curious. You. Okay, one conversation sense. we've been having through different guests that just keeps coming up is this idea of um, like genre and context of the Bible, like reading the different sections of the Bible based on the actual genre of literature that they are. Because yep. for now, when we, you know, if you open up the back of your Bible and you say, I'm going to look for all the passages on hell, it's going to give me every time that hell is written in the English translation from Genesis through Revelation, right? But like as you were doing all this research, like how, how, how important was understanding the genre of each section, the context of each section as all those passages came up? Yeah, I would say like super important. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's say, you know, so Lake Fire language is from a vision in Revelation. It's a vision, people. He's also mm -hmm. got a sword coming out of his mouth and big tattoos and a horse flying across the sky. You know, it's a vision. Um, and then quite most of the time when divine, a lot of the divine judgment passages are in Jesus parables. Right. And so you have to say, okay, again, these are symbols. They're not empty symbols. They like, these are actual dire warnings, but of what and, uh, and for what? And it mm -hmm. seems to be that he's leveraging their idea of judgment in order to, to do 
pedagogy around ethics mm. that we care we care what, what's the point of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus caring for the poor yeah. <laughs> like that's it what's the point of Matthew 25 caring for the poor and so on mm -hmm. so um so we got that but then also a lot of poetic books right yeah. so mm -hmm. the Psalms foresee this and they talk about Sheol but and don't abandon my soul in Sheol and and but and David often is is connecting with that with like don't let Saul kill me. Right. Mm. Exactly. I'm on the yeah. edge of, I'm having a near death experience here yeah. in the cave of Adullam. So, um, yeah, yeah genre is a big deal. Yeah. Here's the, I want to add one thing about that. The hardest genre in the Bible, I think to interpret are the epistles precisely mm. because we thought they're straightforward teaching mm. when in fact, these are letters full of they're 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 not even really letters. They're sermons with salutations tacked on, and in those sermons, they're using every rhetorical trick in the book. Right. Mm. That means Paul may be using highly charged rhetoric that was common to their era, and we're reading it literally as if right. it's a straight or, and, and missing that is is horrendous. Mm -hmm. But it's also like really hard. Yeah, right? it's really hard not scholars to. Scholars working on it now. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's been a very frustrating, not frustrating. Well, it's frustrating with people that I'll talk to when the more that we kind of crack open the important, I know it seems like a very, um, like just obvious question, obvious assertion, this idea of genre and context, but man, in conversation, it tends to happen all the time where it's like, oh, I didn't know that yeah. uh, this section was this genre, that this section was this genre, that I should read these through those lenses, that I should understand what the author was intending through the way, exactly with that example of the epistles, like who was yep. Paul writing to and why, what was he addressing in the area? Who was he quoting? What was he borrowing from that they would have known about and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it's been a, so it's come up through different, different topics. This idea of genre and context has kind of been like a, a long through line over the last few months, mm -hmm. yep. which I think has been really important as, has opened up a lot of great conversations. Yeah. Um, um, I want to ask you a question about in Revelation. I absolutely, I took a course on Revelation. Actually, this is, okay, this is, tells you really and truly how terrified of hell I was when I <laughs> decided to become a Christian. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. I can't remember how old I was. But then I got a Bible, like, from some, probably my parents. I don't know. And then, you know, my youth group teacher was like, you need, or leader was like you need to you know read read every day and you should just pick a book and read through it and i'm sure he thought i was going to be like matthew or something and i read revelation that was the first book i read because i was so scared oh geez anyways um <laughs> that's a problem so you're ptsd you oh so you're you're healing so many things brad um, i don't know if i am no you are I want a therapist <laughs> <laughs> just like I really truly okay so I, I actually do go to uh, therapy for other things and one of the things um, that she I always tell bring her, it up yeah, exactly <laughs> I should I should bring in my book um, like my Bible and be like in Revelation no but one of the things I always tell her is like when I see somebody uh, facing a topic or a situation head-on that normally would cause me anxiety that is healing yep. for me in and of itself okay, like good. oh look at this person they're a whole human talking about this thing that I find scary and look, they made it through like that for me is like so healing. So anyways, in your book, um, at the end, when you talk about, um, the hope in revelation 21 in revelation 21 and 22, um, I loved the way you, um, 
took out those verses in terms of went through and explained each one of them. And so I want to get back to what we talked about before. And you said um, that right now, when you wrote the book, and I I'm guess that means that maybe this is not the same now, but that you are a hopeful universalist in terms of that you hope that everybody would turn um, to Jesus at the end. Um, yeah. And so when you talk about that in the blood of Revelation or in the book of Revelation, um, washing robes in the blood of the lamb is like the only entry into, um, into the kingdom. Um, you say this great line, you say, um, um, only upon specific, specifically Christian redemption can one enter the gates and eat from the tree of life that grows in the city, which is another picture of Jesus. This vision declares the possibility and the hope that even in the next age, there are those who will thirst and finally bring them to say yes to the lamb, even those who are unable to do so on this side of the grave. Um, so this, I, what I'm thinking you're saying, and correct me if you're wrong, is that based on that interpretation of Revelation, that... Um, you know, there is death, that there is uh, punishment and judgment for things that we've done, as we talked about in some of these texts. But then at the end of time, there's like this final judgment and people that accepted Jesus, followed Jesus, believed in Jesus on in this life are already sort of in. But there's another opportunity for those that on this side didn't. Um, is that am I interpreting that correctly? Well, it depends. Okay. Um, so so. I don't think anybody's just already in. I think we'll all mm. pass through judgment. Right. Right. And that's what, and that's it. That is the final judgment. Mm. So, but the thing is that judgment includes a summons to, uh, from the bride spirit and the bride to come into the city. Mm. So it's a perpetual summons. Mm. And, and the, the, the finale of that seems to be that they, that they can still come in. And so, Here's the problem. We we acted like Revelation 20 was the last chapter of the Bible. Yeah. Everybody goes off to heaven and hell there. Yeah. But um, um, so 21 and 22, they say it's just listed who went to the lake of fire. It's listed them. I'm in there, cowards, you know, and there's a whole list. But then it goes, and then after these things, I saw um, the new Jerusalem come down. Mm-hmm. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And and even the most conservative people usually call that the eternal state. Mm. Oh, right. We saw the eternal state. And here's the city. And the city is the bride. And he says, I see the wicked outside the city. And he lists them again. It's like, wait a minute. I thought they were in the lake of fire. Well, it's because it's a new vision. Mm. But it's also a vision extending into the new heavens and new earth where you've got these people outside the city. So the wicked are outside the st- city still. And then it says, the gates of the city are never shut. Mm-hmm. The spirit and the bride say, come. Mm. The kings lead the glory of the nations into the city, and the nations are those who had worshipped the beast mm. and persecuted the bride. And now the, the king's bringing their glory into the city. And, and then there's the tree of life on each side of the river mm-hmm. with, with leaves for the healing of the nations. So apparently... Um, even in the last two chapters of the Bible, we're still seeing processes. Mm, mm-hmm. We're still not seeing the end. We're seeing uh, the coming age. We're seeing the age of judgment and of right. decision and of movement. Um, and, and we would call this the coming age. Mm. But after that, there's still another age, and it's called the end of the ages, and that's in 1 Corinthians 15. Mm. 
So think about three eras. This present evil age mm -hmm. is what Paul calls now in Ephesians 6. The age to come, that's Matthew 25, Revelation 20, 21, and 22. The age, to, the age of judgment, the age of cleansing, the age of invitation. And then 1 Corinthians 15 is our strongest telescope into the future because it sees the end of the ages. Mm. And then you have to ask, okay, what does the end of the ages look like? And it says Jesus has brought every, every enemy under his feet. Mm. And this is Ephesians 1, the summing up of all things mm -hmm. in Jesus. And when that's done and there's no more enemy and there's no more evil and there's no more wickedness, only then does he hand the kingdom over to his father. And then this becomes a key a key verse for the um, early church universalists, we'll call them, ultimate redemptionists. And God will be all and in all. Mm. And um, so then the question is, with this, with the end of the ages, does the New Testament foresee everyone coming into the city? Mm. And it, it, and and. There's so many passages that we were blinded to because we weren't allowed to see them. But here'd be an example. As in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all shall be made alive. Mm. And in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, it's in both. In Romans 5, it's like, how much more? Yeah. In Christ shall all be made alive. Right. In other words, if we've got all these folks who believe in Adamic, like of Adam, right. Adamic universalism, but not Christ universalism. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. That, so Adam's able to screw over the whole human race, but Jesus is only to say, able to save a few. That's mm. not what Romans 5 says. Right. It just yeah. like absolutely, he could, Paul could not be more clear. Right. Whatever Adam did to destroy us, Christ has, done to, has undone in himself through mm. the cross. Mm. So there's still a summons. You still have to freely respond. And I, I would call myself hopeful, not because I don't think it'll happen, but because it's not deterministic. Right, right. Understand. There's no determinism here. It will have to be a willing, a free willing response. But then when you see Christ face to face and the world, the flesh and the devil aren't there to deceive you anymore. Right. What will you say? Yeah. And who will you see? And how and who will you will be you see? oriented? And, and every eye shall see him. Mm. Um, some of my friends are like, no, once you die, it's just too late. It's like, I don't know. Romans 8 says death can't separate you from the love of God. Right. And then they bat back, well, yeah, but it's appointed in man once to die and after that a judgment. Like, I know, that's what I said. There's a judgment. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what and I was And then mercy saying. triumphs over judgment. Yeah. There's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then he wipes every tear from her eyes. So it's right. just like consecutive then. Mm. Mm. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's beautiful the way you put that. But I think the number one question I've always heard when we have these discussions is, well, if there is no hell, then why would Jesus have to die? Um, but I don't. <laughs> that question doesn't come to my mind in this conversation at all, right? Like, because there, there is still a purpose in Jesus's death, which is conquering death. And, people and there's are still, still a hell. And there's still, <laughs> there's still a, a hell. hell. Mm -hmm. I've yeah. been there. It's in downtown East Vancouver where people are mm. almost at the, they're so broken. And, and, and it's in the refugee camps mm. on the border of Myanmar. And it's like in Syria right now, but also in the coming life. It's it's the place. It, it's the hell of, it's it's the hell of purification. Mm -hmm. Here's my Mark nine. Let me blow your mind for a moment. I, it's really Jesus. <laughs> it's not me. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. it's Jesus blows our minds because what he does is he's playing with our concepts of heaven and hell and paradise and judgment. And so he starts out and he's like, you know, it's better to cut your right hand off than go into hell with both hands. Mm -hmm. It's better to, and he uses Gehenna. It's better to have your pluck your right eye out than go into Gehenna with one, with both eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and then we stop there. But the next thing Jesus says is this, for you will all be salted with fire. So he just took the righteous and wicked distinction out of it. They had a us them thing going, right. I'm righteous, you're wicked. I go to paradise, you go to hell. And he's like, oh, no, no, we'll all be salted with fire. Mm. And then he says, but salt is good. <laughs> you're like what you're like so it's not a it's not a retributive fire it's a restorative fire it's mm. good and he's and then he says uh, so make sure you have salt in yourselves <laughs> and you're like oh so you can do it on purpose mm. and he internalizes it it's mm. not someday in a place under the ground right it's it's you your soul is navigating heaven and hell in your own heart right now mm. And, 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 but also the, the, the fire is, can be a refiner's, a, the refiner's fire that, that, that cleanses your true self. So you shine like the diamond you are. Mm. So it's just like Jesus really messes with us in that passage. He blows up the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. He really does. Mm. He does. And you know, and then you ask the question of, of all of these things, but especially like given in that of how then shall we live? And it yeah. just seems like all all of this, um, it's just so glaring to me, no matter what you end up believing about hell or judgment, is that there is such an emphasis, at least in the American evangelical church, that's where I, my upbringing is, um, yeah. that it is all about that end result. It's all about where yeah. you're going. And yeah. that doesn't, like you said. How shall we then live? How shall we live? Yeah, exactly. Is that um, that's not a response that is compelling somebody out of love, right? So if we're if we are only doing um, things like saying a prayer, believing certain things to get to to get to hell, the irony of that is the hell we're creating in our own lives today and in others' lives now. If if we don't say hey, this might be an end reality of judgment and etern eternity for sure, but it's also a very real spiritual reality today. And I have to respond to that. Yeah, and 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 spiritual not meaning like it's on the ground reality today, right? Yeah. So um, I've just written an article on how shall we talk about hell? And my conclusion there is the Bible and the early church recognized that there is such a superabundance of imagery. Everything from fire to soap, such an abundance of criteria from the treating people well to saying the sinner's prayer. To, there's, there's just so much selection, so many parables, so many visions, so many ways of talking about it. How should we talk about it today? Here's my opinion. We should talk about it in a way that draws people to Jesus instead of drives them away from Jesus. Even if, even if the infernalists were right, that it's eternal conscious torment in everlasting like a fire, the fact that talking about that drives people to the fire should make mm -hmm. them stop talking about it. And what do you know? Not one evangelist in all of the book of Acts ever mentioned hell in any evangelistic sermon. 
Mm. It was not part of preaching the gospel. Right. But I would say then, well, so then how shall we talk about it? If not that way, Yeah. we should talk about it like John 3. We should say, Jesus does not, like, so John, John's this mature theology. He's had a lot of time to pray about the meaning of Jesus' message. And what he saw is this, that God so loved the world, he sent his only son. And what the, the son did not come to threaten them with everlasting punishment, unless they said his prayer. This, what the son did was he said, he, he, he said you're, you're condemned already. You're already living in, a, on, in hell on earth as you've created. I've come to rescue you from that and give you mm -hmm. fullness of life. We, we took eternal life and turned it into heaven. But in John, it, and we turned perishing into hell, but in John, it's like, no, you're, you're already living in the hell of condemnation and anxiety mm -hmm. and alienation. You are perishing now, but fullness of life is available here and now. We're not deferring heaven and hell till later. This is mm -hmm. a now moment. So when I do mm -hmm. evangelism now, I can just say, um, tell me about your hell. Mm. And then, and, and then, and then, people just share what they're struggling with. And then, and then I can say, you know, I, I feel like I know someone who can help you with that. Would you like to mm -hmm. meet them? And yeah. then I set up a, I just, I set up a thought experiment where they get to talk to God themselves and hear his voice and his welcome out of, out of the darkness into light. So it's, mm -hmm. I think that's how we should talk about it now, acknowledging that people are having a really hard time and that mm -hmm. we know someone with life abundant. And, and that's the message. So Yeah, yeah I like that. No, uh, we, we have a lot of um, like youth ministers and youth pastors that listen, a lot of pastors that listen. Um, yeah. And I feel like I, I just had this conversation yesterday with somebody who does youth ministry, youth evangelism. And, and I was thinking back to the years in which I was a youth pastor and how so much of the way that we were kind of instructed to, to evangelize was to, to not give it the turn or burn, message but that was a big part of it like accept mm -hmm. this to evade this but throughout this whole conversation i think it's an interest that and especially what you just said this idea of because so much of what we're doing you know what we do in the podcast is we try to create a safe space for people to come in and wrestle with this stuff like yeah you're yep. safe mm -hmm. to come in here and to doubt and to throw things around and and kind of just, or just get, even put it on the table for yeah, the first and just time let us yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're always safe to do that here but we're also doing these um like starting to help people host micro communities in their area where they're just like, Hey, you know, over dinner, over an intimate setting, like Jesus would do, we're just going to get together and eat a meal together. And then we're going to discuss these topics and it's giving flesh to what the podcast is kind of set up for. Like this is, this can be a safe place for anybody to come and to wrestle with stuff. And I feel like that is such a key part of that invitation of like, Hey, you know, I, I want to ask you about the hell that you're in right now. And I want to talk to you about this person, you know, this, this Jesus that can come in and, and, but also like, I want to invite you to come be a part of this community and to walk with us with like, I don't want to just say like, Hey, um, what, what's, what's hurting you. That sucks. Here's the, mm -hmm. here's the Willy Wonka golden ticket. Good luck. Right. Yeah. But bringing people in and being like, you know what, we're, we're, we're all pushing forward on, we're all, we're all sorting through our own hell, our own, pain mm -hmm. and suffering these different things and i want to invite you into this with us we're all going to be looking in this direction and trying to move in this direction and i think that invitation is just so dramatically different than what we've been kind of raised with yeah, yeah. it sounds a lot you're describing okay. the story of the prodigal son again right yeah they, 
you don't, it's not like if you come in, you'll become a son or daughter. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, no, you're already a son, but you're sure not enjoying it. Are you? So it could be like, tell me about your pig pen. Yeah. And then, and then coming in to the father's house is you are embodying that. How do I come to the father's house? Well, at our table, that's how Mm. here here we are. And look at that. You're at the table. Welcome to the kingdom of God. You know, it's, Um, yeah, no, I love well, it. I'm compelled and we've taken up so much of your time so we can totally like end this soon. But I want I'd love that, Tim, because and what you just said as well. Um, I can think of things I've been through that were actual hell. Like yeah. six years yeah. ago we had a still we had a stillborn. Yeah. Um that was hell. Yeah. And to hear if somebody would have acknowledged that that was hell for me. Yes. Um my view of it would have been so different. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and s- it was a big catalyst in my own deconstruction story because I w- was suddenly faced with this terrible thing and then these conflicting ideas about God that I had learned, like pieced together. Um, and so instead of sort of, Tim, like to what you said, like, good luck, here's your golden ticket, like these cliches that were sort of yes. handed out, that were well-meaning, um, but handed and out devastating. Yeah. And devastating because I never felt like, uh, there was a pain there. There was a pain there that somebody understood. So if my literal person next to me is not understanding that, how in the world could God ever understand that? So this whole conversation is, as just making me think about that of hell being a real reality in our lives as well um and a god and a jesus who who uh who conquers it and like that i just can't get that image out of my head about that you said about god like leading this parade by their wrists um Absolutely. but this deep empathy that jesus offers us uh, that's that, just and such that's a different the meaning of the cross that's the meaning of the yeah. cross in this story it's about radical empathy Mm-hmm. That's what the cross is. He steps into the human condition and suffers it with us, including lost babies. Mm. And so in, in that moment, it's like, tell me what's perishing. Well, my damn baby's perishing. That's what's perishing. It's like, oh my God. You know, well, we let's visit, let's visit the one who weeps with you, who who's who's who knows this, but also holding holding your child safe. And you'll 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 see that one again. So you've got both the the need to that he's come down into our Hades to to suffer with us, to hold us, and, and then also to offer us the hope of what's coming. Mm. Hmm. You're be all right? See, yes, I told you. I told you you were healing things, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm oh, glad that was healing three tears and you weren't going to sue me or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, Brad. But it's the gospel, right? It's much, the, the power yeah. of the gospel has to be powerful enough for a, yeah. for a, to face full on into the reality of, of someone who's just had a miscarriage. Yeah. yeah. Without yeah. platitudes, right? You know? And so, and I think it is powerful enough. So. Yeah. Gosh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you Pleasure. so much. Really appreciate it. And answering 
I was going to say hour, but really my <laughs> million questions. Yeah. Um, and just so where can people, um, obviously they can find this on Amazon, but um, what do you really quick, what are you working on now or where can people find you or if they have questions yeah, or want to so talk to you? Yeah, you go to bradjersak.com, but also my stuff's on Amazon. So the stuff I've been working out recently um, in the, the last year, I wrote a book called A More Christlike Way and another one called In. And the oh, awesome. subtitle of that one is Incarnation and Inclusion, Abba and Lamb. And it's just about how the higher my Christology gets, the wider I see God's loving arms to be. Um, so a radical inclusion that doesn't leave Jesus behind. Mm. And um, and we've got a kid's book out there, uh, Jesus, a couple of kid's books, but one's called Jesus Showed Us. And that, mm. that one's like Jesus Showed Us that God is love. And oh, so awesome. all of that's online at uh, Amazon. Great. Thank you so much. Pleasure. So you can find him on Amazon, bradjersack.com. And I think or Bradley, sometimes or Bradley. if they search Brad, they will find the half the books and they will oh. combine them. Sorry. Oh, okay. Or Bradley. There you go. Yeah. And I think you're on Instagram too. Cause I just started following you. Okay. And Facebook also. Oh, Facebook there. So there yeah. you're all over the internets. People and I'm on the Twitter. You. I know all about the Twitter. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and on the Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds really good. And do you think you could leave us with a blessing? Sure. We love it. We all, I should have told you. So Mike always does it. Tim and I are like the worst blessers known to mankind because we get like flustered and we can't remember them. Yeah. But after this conversation, it just seems like you'd be really I would good love at to. It. Okay, I great. would love to. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah. Loving, loving Abba of every son and daughter. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, all-merciful one. Holy Spirit in him in whom we live, move, and have our being. We, we, uh, we bless my host today in your name. We bless our listeners today. And, and, and we pray especially that they'd be, they'd be filled um, with the knowledge of the empathy of God for them on the cross and the victory of Christ over whatever their Hades is today. And, um, and I just feel like they're meant to hear him today. So if they, if, if your listeners would just say, Jesus, what do you want me to know today? And trust the still small voice that is truth and love that should do the trick. Amen. Amen. Amen.